News is now projecting former Vice President Joe Biden will be the 46th president of these United States. The fact that America is back. Hold it. Run that back. America is back. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. It fooled me, we can't get fooled again. Go back to bed, America. You are free to do as we tell you. You are free to do as we tell you. You are free to do as we tell you. You are free to do as we tell you. Welcome to another Left of Dial episode, and it's been a, another hectic week, I guess you would say, now with the quite a, a couple of things. I guess we'll just really start, delve right into it with the eviction moratorium, which was thankfully extended for another, what looks like will be just another two months from what I understand, it, there is someone to give credit to. It would be Congresswoman Cori Bush of Missouri. With this eviction moratorium, essentially what that's just going to do is just, uh, for people who haven't already been evicted, and we could probably even talk about that with the people I have on here from, if you know anything about no Ameren shutoffs, you would know a lot, a lot about what's been going on with kind of issues that people have been dealing, tenants have been dealing with possibly, you know, not even just getting their utility shut off but that can also be a reason to get evicted and it has been but essentially now with this moratorium those who have it who have been i think it's about 11.4 million adults living in rental ha housing who are behind on rent and i think from this article that i have the average debt here in illinois where we're located the average debt is about three thousand four hundred and six dollars in states like New York, it's about $4,400. And California, it's, it's about a little over $5,000 of, of about debt per household. And obviously, in terms of demographics, usually people who are struggling with paying rent are, you know, people of color, black people, Latinos, even, you know, in some places it, you know, for a number of Asians and, you know, I'm sure Native Americans is you know that typical what we see here in in this country and people that have been struggling but um uh, if anyone wants to join in essentially you know what do you see of what's to come for anyone who wants to join in uh i'll introduce <laughs> forgot to yeah introduce see i'm still getting new at this with this with this uh podcast thing i'm here with uh alan max axelrod been uh campaign lead of no Amrit shutoffs I'm here with Eddie Pratt Jr., who I've had on a couple of times and who has talked about the SWIFT program. And I'm here with Mark Girdler of Decatur, who, as I've mentioned in the last episode, if you haven't seen his, you, maybe you know of him, of his uh, city council comments that he's given to the city of uh, the, the Decatur city council meetings. Those are, those are always a joy to watch. Anyways, I, I just want to kind of open up. The discussion anyone who wants to start or join in what you have to say about this whole eviction moratorium because it really it just seems like you know and of course there there is rent assistance and that's something that cory bush was talking about saying you know telling people because we don't know if this moratorium will hold up the supreme court you know it might be ruled unconstitutional so people might be again out of luck if they already aren't as i've mentioned with because you can get evicted for a lot of things like not paying your utilities but essentially you know as i asked the question what do you all have one of the discussers say about this because it just seems like in my perspective it's just we're kicking the can down the road with this just by extending it another two months well i'll, I'll go first uh, i suppose so this is alan for listeners and uh, forgive my kitten in the background <laughs> however our politicians need to although they won't they need to issue or reissue emergency declarations given the change in the public health crisis, which would then make it constitutional for them to actually have the suspension of evictions. One of the things that people most often forget is that the rescinding of emergency declarations is what changes the legal equation and that's part of where this all comes from. So this is mostly electoral political theater because there is a nervous Democratic Party that doesn't want to lose midterms by doing right by their residents. And instead, they want to appeal to the people that they normally depend on for re-election, 
who have already gotten the vaccines. I mean, really, like, I imagine, as you brought up, Alan, with not, they're worrying about midterms. I mean, I imagine with, you know, it's what, August, and assuming if this, if this moratorium holds up, you know, what that'll be at the end of uh, October, your concentrate, your focus will just be, you wouldn't even be thinking about, and honestly, they shouldn't really be thinking about one year with the midterms coming up. And if you're, if you're a voter, it should be, you know, I'm focused on being able to keep a roof over, over my head. I'm focused on, you know, just being able to put meat on the table, as I said, the bread, butter, whatever issues. So I know it just seems like this is just, if you're afraid of the, the, the landlords and Nancy Pelosi and, and her connect, connections of interest, her special interests in Northern California with real estate, feel free to look at those and come up with your own conclusion of why maybe she, why apparently she just learned, reported that she just knew of the moratorium when it was set to expire at the end of july she apparently had just learned of it so you know when somebody's worth over a hundred million dollars i'm not exactly sure what her net worth is but you know when you have politicians that are that out of touch you know with cory bush i will say i believe fox news reported on like oh well she had been you know has faced eviction and that she had dealt she's dealt with homelessness and you know she's from st louis i'm from that area and i can say yeah a lot of cities towns all across america yeah there's there's homelessness it doesn't matter whether they're blue or red go to any go to any (laughs) go to any state you'll deal with you know homelessness and whether it's here you know i mean it's it's a it's an american issue it's an american problem so i don't know why but but i also thought that was just like a disgusting kind of like i I know it's fox news so i shouldn't be surprised but just like just uh it just on the note of homelessness i'll do a deep cut locally did you ever realize that as the pandemic was viewed as receding that our homeless shelter stopped functioning and then when everybody said oh no we got to do more safety protection suddenly they were able to get the homeless shelter back up running now that may be an oversimplification but the fact of the matter is that when people talk about homelessness there are very few communities that have actually ended chronic homelessness by the legal definition but there are communities that don't even have homeless shelters operating year round and we live in one. So this is just an unacceptable set of circumstances that we're being again put into. And like on the note of electoral active aspects, normally if this wasn't a pandemic, candidates would have already been declared and the filing period for primaries in Illinois would have started in September as opposed to next year. So like this is 100% the calculus that the politicians in the mainstream parties are doing right now to the detriment of the most vulnerable members of our community. So like just to emphasize, more people have gotten the vaccines than voted. This is a pretty clear indicator as to who has the means to be able to afford the unpaid leave to ride out the symptoms of the vaccine. Even President Biden said that you need to pay people $100 at least as a starting point. And we know he's not a radical and we know that number needs to actually be a lot higher. But he's even saying that you need to pay people $100 to get the vaccine. And so the progressive place of Champaign County has yet to have any unit of government step up to provide the public health district the resources to implement such a thing. With the vaccine, I think this was like the, a New York Times about how there was some hesitancy because a lot of people didn't, from one, and this is the New York Times, and this is obviously comes, kind of just de- defines our healthcare system issue that, of course, we have here in the United States that a lot of people were hesitant in getting the vaccine because they didn't know that it was free. A lot of normal Americans just, they're not online, you know, they're just living their day-to-day lives and the vaccine they hear that there's a vaccine but you know this is the united states of america you know with health insurance that's something that usually has to that's not something that's taken from your taxes that's something that usually you have to pay unless if it's your job and well after this pandemic a lot of people have been out of work which again why we have this eviction crisis. it just opened really shows just how really fucked our uh both our things with our housing healthcare. Because we, we're just so used to, oh yeah, you have to pay for that. You have to, that's going to cost you a couple of grand and you might have to f- fall back on some things. But but yeah, right now it seems like there's the number of 
vaccine covid vaccinations has slowed down i think we're at about 50 percent of adults fully vaccinated and it's 50 percent of the entire population uh, okay that's yeah because like 70 percent of adults have had at least the first jab at this point but that was a goal meant to hit be hit last month but like a thing that i want to circle back to is it's like you were talking about how people may not even know that these vaccines are free. What is it that we've been doing at uh, Champaign-Urbana DSA almost every week since April? Other than notifying, you might have to, t- yeah, tell me. The litty lick. The, oh, the let drops. The lit, yeah. Lit yeah, lit drop. yeah, and what yeah. what has been in every one of those lit drops since May onwards? Sort of va- vaccination, like where you can get the vax- vaccine. Where you can get the vaccine for free. Yeah. With the public health district's own logo on it because it's their lit, right? And so, like, that's the importance of it is that folks don't know. It's not just like, where can I get it? This application process is not that easy. It's also, as you were saying, people don't know that it's free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if I, we can, if we can you, go back to the uh, eviction thing for a second. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Like, I'm definitely, you know, I'm anti landlord, so I'm. I think getting it extended is great, but I think we need to be looking at like large scale rent forgiveness because imagine the pressures people are under just with everything that's going on and then have this like crushing pressure of six months or eight months or whatever of, you know, rent being due and the extra two months is really great. But then the the, the added pressure of like, where am I going to live through all of this? It just, it seems like that's going to really have even just from a capitalist perspective, it's going to have an impact on workforce avail- availability. It's just really surprising to me that there's not a lot of talk about that. I mean, there's been some great programs at like the state level, but it just seems like there should be more talk about uh, forgiving since we're kind of just delaying the inevitable. Well, and actually on that point, like I- I'm totally on board with this, with forgiving the rents. But one of the things is that also all the money is out there. It's just a matter of the government actually unleashing the funds. So this is where the whole idea of libertarian socialism comes in, right? It's like, well, if the government's not unleashing the funds fast enough, how do we basically make ourselves a resource to help with the uh, funds being unlocked? Or do we actually upward delegate to the government to use some sort of automatic uh, dispersing of those funds in a way that, you know, you can prove if someone's filed an eviction in this day and age, who's going to be filing that fraudulently, right? If there's an amount owed and you can have that verified by the courts, you could redirect the eviction proceeding and have people eligible for the funds so that it doesn't absolutely ruin their lives. When Ben was saying earlier, there was $4,000 average, you know, owed or something like that for 10, uh, for 11 million households. There's about $44 billion sitting on the table. That's literally enough for the average household to get. So it's like, we don't even need to be having our government adopt something as radical as forgiving the past rents, although absolutely agree, they could literally just give this money out a little less, uh, in a little less burdensome of fashion, and it would actually address the issue. And I suspect that is the cynical aspect of this 60 days is that the media reporting has been about, oh, it's been so difficult to get these applications. Mm-hmm. They're making it a higher priority now, yada, yada. And I'm like looking at it going, unless if they create some sort of automatic payment system, we're going to be extending it again. And, you know, in that case, we absolutely should. But it, the situation isn't as hopeless as, as advertised, but it is a situation that needs to be addressed by folks that would rather not before an election. Yeah. It's not, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Eddie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what up, though? Teddy Pratt, CUDSA committee lead, and all that other good stuff. But um, I just wanted to say that you know the this issue with the the eviction moratorium and uh, you know all the uncertainty involved in what happens on the back end. I mean, you know, I don't want to be that person, but I'm gonna be that person today. Corey Bush, you know, doing what she did was great and everything. But uh, I was one of those folks who's been talking about this very worst case scenario for literal months on end. <laughs> and now I got people flooding my my inboxes and all this other stuff, all hands in the air. All, oh, I just... Anyway, but the, the point is, is that 
with this whole thing, the the point that I see that is like a common denominator is almost intentional underserving of the government to the people. Like they make it available and then they do the very, that's the, that's the, the bare minimum, right? They make it available is the bare minimum. The, the real work is the actual outreach to make sure that folks actually get it and they, util, and they utilize it. But if they don't, then they get to keep it after such a certain amount of time. Yep. And we've been here before because what was the situation with the low income home energy assistance program in Illinois, right? That is a burdensome right. application based benefit. How many fewer households received it in the 2019? Uh, the 2020-21 year as opposed to the 2019-2020 year? It was something like 60,000 less 60, households. 60, yeah, something, something around there. Yeah, and so after we pointed that out, after we demonstrated that no and shutoffs very much did not go away and made some serious inroads with a lot of different geographies, what happened, right? The Utility Disconnection Avoidance Program was enacted and they automatically dispersed the funds. They suddenly had the mechanism and political will to release the money directly to the household. So, Eddie, yeah, you're 100% right. Mm -hmm. It's sort of this appealing to the Kens and Karens in the voting class to say, like, there is this program. People don't have excuses if this happens to them. When in reality, there is this program. It's underutilized. It's under-resourced. And it's not paying out fast enough to households that qualify. And so mm -hmm. it's, again, like... Cory Bush ended up pointing this out in a very last minute but effective manner to get people that time to force that discussion. Even NPR, again, the corporate funded radio station masquerading as a public radio station, they have said that these grant funded programs are now prioritizing households that applied, are eligible, but they're missing like one or two documents. And so these folks that they had been leaving out, they're now going back through that list to try and get these folks the money quicker. So that that is something that is happening, but it's not going to be good enough. You know, this imperialist system is so ununique. It just constantly does the same old, same old over and over again. With something like this, with the eviction moratorium situation is the same thing with the utility moratorium. It's the same thing with SWIFT. It's the same thing with so many different, uh, you know, programs and resources that are literally out there for the people. It's, a, it's the literal same reason why people in this state who have felonies don't know that they have the ability to vote. And it's also the same reason why they are not advocated for until election season by the people who are needing that vote. Hey, I'm just saying, let me know if I'm wrong. Well, and, you know, that's just, you know, the way that this, you know, the way this country is, it, it makes people have to poor if you're whatever, lower middle class, what have you. Uh, you have to jump through all these hoops. You have to do all the fill out all these applications, what's been done with welfare, how it's been just this whole way it's been interpreted this way. It's, it's been, you know, yeah, yeah. It's this whole way. It's been, uh, everybody's sorry. been underserved, overworked, overtaxed, and it's gotten to a point because of COVID putting a spotlight on it times 10 that we are at a, at, we are beyond the precipice. We, we are like literally in, in the frontal stages of, like non-choice as a social construct like that's that's some scary shit i don't I'm, i don't i don't have a lot of fear and i do not really fear monger and or anything like that but this is some real fearful shit like we're already playing with it we got we got increased police patrols off of a off of a chain message that's that, that's let's be honest here we got that's that escalation to that point off of a chain message that's where we are right now whether or not it came from a vetable source or not, if anybody locally got that message, it had all the information but a name. If you were worried about your own safety, you would not even put half of that out. It would still implicate you. So um, it, it opens to me a, a, a litany of, of questions and, and hypotheses about 
uh, the origin points of that that message, you know, as if it could be literal fear mongering. It could be it could be real. It could be exaggerated. It could be a lot of things. But it wasn't it was enough for that to happen. And so because of just that, now you got to remember, a lot of cliches still reign true. You know, you allow some, you allow all. So now that we're there, we're, we're, we're there. Take note, there hasn't been any shootings. Mm-hmm. And these things, and we're, we're talking about something that was supposed to be retaliatory. So it's a crime of passion. That said, logic goes out the door. So logic would say, I'm not going to go out and do this because there's a bunch of police out there looking for me. But logic is dead. So why would the police matter? They don't. And if they did, then there wouldn't be as, as many, you know, shooting period as there been. But there has. So when that fails, because again, this imperialistic system is so ununique in the tactics that it uses, what will they do when their municipal uh, police forces lose control? They will bring in a National Guard. And you tell me how close are we or how far are we from martial law, living under curfew, mm. having to go through checkpoints dang near? You tell me how close we are to that. Well, we had two out of three of those last year, right? We had curfew declared. We had National Guard deployed last year in addition to the mass arrests. So, you know, that's not even really a conjecture. If we're going to see mass evictions, we're going to see this happen again. That's not fear-mongering. That's a sound analysis, mm-hmm. right? Like, the, I was told... Yeah, like, we saw a crime increase. From the utility, uh, the mass utility being cut off back around in, around April 15th, yeah, you know, they, we, we they, saw that happen. So we're not even talking about folks' water getting cut off. We're talking about folks losing shelter, losing a house. And in larger numbers, too. Well, you don't, you don't, yeah. Well, and one of the things... What's, what's the numbers, like close to a million? It's 11 million across the country. So that, you know, if you just divide that by 50, that's going to be, what, about a half million or so in... Crap, my numbers are all off today. What's that going to be in 50 states? 10 million divided by 50 is going to be about 200,000 households. If we were just assuming um, Mm. every state had the same number of households eligible for evictions, we know that 800,000 households were eligible for or were at risk of utility shutoffs. We know that we got 121,000 households assistance and we know another 87,000 households have been disconnected. So it's like folks have been catching up on their bills, but the rent is just so much more insurmountable than the utilities. Yeah, when uh, and not the one said the average here was like three thousand four hundred dollars in rent debt. Yeah, three thousand four hundred and six dollars. Like well, and oh, don't forget too, that, like, that extra <laughs> unemployment benefit uh, goes it, away soon. Yeah, there, and uh, Senator Joe Manchin was like, uh, you know, we are not extending unemployment benefits. It's like, oh, yeah, thank you, Senator Joe Manchin. You out of touch prick no 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 ben the correct term is moderate democrat it means the oh. same thing oh sorry <laughs> is but he's yeah, such a nice guy yeah he's always he and kirsten cinema and granted i don't want to make the, them the two scapegoats because like when it came to the 15 dollars minimum wage it wasn't just them those two there were some other democrats like chris coons who also what was that's was the whole thing with the senate Batorium, Senate, whatever, Zabababoyum, that was a number of Democrats, like, I think it was like six or eight voted. Right, but it also, when the French Revolution happened, it wasn't Marie Antoinette that was everything, it was King Louis and the rest of the court, but she was the one who said, let them eat cake, and Kristen Cinema was the person who did a curtsy when voting down $15 an hour. Yes, queen! Yes, queen! Yeah. Yeah, I will fight Joe Manchin anytime, anywhere. (laughs) I think you could take it. He's he's maybe he might be a little bit tall. Although I want to condone violence. I want to I want to at least go get by like episode 100 before I get like angry before I, God you know. Forbid the elites are yeah. subject to the violence they impose on so many. Ooh, yeah. you're going to make it that long? <laughs> I hope so. I don't know. I might, you, you know. make it that long? I might be on, you know, the FBI's watch list before then. Then which uh, <laughs> I yeah, don't yeah. know, man. Uh, I don't know. That's that's gonna take a her her Lokian type of uh, effort uh, to not at, at this phase. Uh, I mean, Jesus, I don't know. By next week, I might be. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. People already 
cynical to the point they think I'm like a 65-year-old old dude that's just out here just pissed off at the whole world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I don't know what I'm going to be next week at this. I don't know how you're going to be. Well, I mean... Ugh, it, episode 100. What is this? Like, uh, eight? <laughs> no, it's like 12. I've been, I've been very, barely averaging an episode a month, but... uh. <laughs> I only brought up the FBI because apparently Joe Biden's apparently they've been monitoring a lot of leftist organizations, supposedly like Antifa or whatever. Not that I would <laughs> silly, silly podcast, whatever. I but mean, look, if they start monitoring <laughs> the stuff that I'm up to and all that, I mean, will that make people more or less predisposed to accuse me of being an FBI agent? Because that's happened twice now. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at it going from like Diego up in Chicago, DSA, who has um, was the person who helped with a lot of radical actions during the pandemic and before the pandemic in Illinois. And it's like just an awesome organizer and is now Chicago DSA co-chair. Like he went by this saying, which is if you're not doing illegal shit, you don't need to encrypt it. And so the thing of it is, it's like pay your taxes do everything by the book that means don't jaywalk um but that is kind of the idea is like get in trouble <laughs> on your terms, right on your terms R let them watch you the entire time mm. they will try to invent charges mm. they won't stick you building a mass movement you, by the time they've invested resources in trying to go after you with the limited amount of resources that they have because they cost a lot of money and they don't have a huge office that means that we would actually have like three, four, five other people doing the organizing labor because they've been trained up by that point. And that's the thing that we're close to crossing. I've been talking to a lot of uh, DSA delegates during the convention uh, this past week. And like the thing that I kept pointing out to them is DSA is at 95,000 members. Put that in perspective. If there's an average of 50 Democratic officials, party officials in each county, and there's about 3,000 counties in the country, you're looking at 150,000 grassroots officials for a capitalist party. So we are close, in a, in a sense, to being able to out-people power them, which isn't the full equation, but that's a pretty big indicator. And so looking at that, I don't know how much of a concern we're going to have, especially when countries like Bolivia that are subject to outright violence that had their government overthrown by a coup and were having members being killed and all that by the right-wing state, democratically overthrew it with a mass movement. So yeah, hi, FBI. Hello there. Keep on listening and look at the rule books. I'm going to follow that damn rule book mm -hmm. to the letter. I mean, I don't think mm -hmm. they really are listening. I mean, if they are, <laughs> wow, they have a lot of free time. I want to what? just say, speaking you know, of FBI what? watch lists, that I think we should yeah. look to history for answers to this eviction slash landlord situation, and that I'm not advocating for the exact same thing, but we, we've we've seen that land distribution can work in when you have a small percentage of people that own a high percentage of the property, and it just seems like at a certain point we are going to have to v start viewing housing as a human right. And I, I can't believe that we even mm -hmm. have to have these. It's, it blows my mind that we even have to have these conversations, to be honest. Oh, yeah, 100% agreed. That's why That's real. when Danielle Chenoweth lied about Chicago being or lift the ban on rent control being a Chicago issue, rather than going, oh, man, sucks that she said that. What happened? Right. We reached out to every alder person. We're like, nope, that's not the facts here. And now we have the first city in the entire state, Urbana for clarity, that is majority in favor of of lifting the ban on rent control where they all signed on to an open letter. I asked the lift the ban coalition to send me the open letter so that I could just like be able to circulate it and whatnot. But it's like, that's something that we got done faster than Chicago. That's something that we got done faster than Peoria, than St. Louis, than any area in any area in the Midwest really. And so we got to look at the fact that what we're doing is working. And so when it comes to establishing housing as a human right, we've got a path forward to this. Why not get Bloomington up as the next one? They just had an older person who was deposed from housing not being a human right. So, you know, that is something that we can do. And I'm very encouraged by how folks have been organizing in the Bloomington Normal Tenants Union. 
And DSA, again, made tenant union uh, activity a high priority. Yeah, I didn't read the exact language of the resolution, though. So there might be some cool nifty things in there. But there's a housing justice coalition, and there are several members in Illinois on that coalition. Or sorry, the housing justice working group, I believe is what it's called. Yeah, well... That conversation kind of went around, but, you know, <laughs> took, some, took some turns, which I am for it. Mark, you didn't exactly promote Maoism like I thought you were going to, but <laughs> I, thought, I thought that's what you wanted to do. Well, a thing that I'll say before we potentially segue there more, yeah. uh, when I was talking to some state reps about the need to actually act on utility shutoffs, there were, you know, some lift the ban coalition people there. And then there was this one guy who showed up with a Zoom background that was just Chairman Mao. And I'm looking at this yes. guy going, yes. you are amazing. Yes. They aren't going to listen to a thing you say, but I am so happy that you are here and advocating in a way where you're just like, I'm nonconformist. These uh, real estate tycoons that are also on the call can just deal with it. And I'm just like, that is so beautiful. Look, I'm not saying Mao was right. <laughs> what I'll say is that despite disagreements with Mao, the U.S. has, I think, a larger share of the incarcerated population, both per capita and in total count. And that is a um, legacy that is an outcome of a government that still reveres Mao. Like there are two Olympic athletes who are under investigation by the Olympic organization for having Mao buttons on them when they got their gold medals. I don't even know for what sport. So what's going on currently in China um, is an outcome of that. And the number of folks that they've got documented in detention, even if you include the very questionable and immoral things documented about the Uyghur population, the U.S. still has way more, and that should upset everybody. Well, and, and, incarcerated. Well, and in terms of the way we always talk about how we're a leader in human, you know, the U United States, you know, the our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is always talking about, oh, you know, human rights, you know, we always, you know, the whole thing with Cuba and how we're pointing, you know, always pointing, pointing at Cuba bring up this Cold War thing from the 1960s, 19, well, yeah, yeah, uh, literally blockades them. Yeah. <laughs> going to advocate for our local Democrats. Disenfranchises a whole fucking people. Oh, yeah. The last Macon County Democrats meeting, we kind of brought a message of unity, but as a appeasement to summon our group, we were going to also call for a resolution, you know, that was against the blockade. And then we decided not to whenever they asked us why we were, you know, why we were even there as communists and that we didn't belong in their party. The thing about that is it's not exactly like if they would like to delegate themselves to the degree of irrelevance that they have historically had in Decatur by excluding people who think differently than them, then they deserve what happens. But the other thing is, um, on the note of Cold War, I mean, look, in, got, <laughs> in Champagne, we've got an ice cream company called Jarlings, and I think they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Keggles, so, or Kregels or Crackles, or whatever that is. And so I would rather start that Cold War. Moving on, mm -hmm. you know, I had a few, few other things I want to talk about, and one of them was, you know, now you know, we're in August, you know, August 8th, and now, you know, school possibly opening up again the the gen uh, you know the Biden administration had their I think a press conference Friday and talked about how you know we're you know set on not locking down we're not gonna have another lockdown this was a press secretary Jen Psaki we're not gonna lock down our economy or our schools despite the Delta variant which has been ravaging states like florida and i will say their horrible governor ron DeSantis, has been an absolute just horrible hold, hold on just a second there because yes he is horrible but there's a disturbing fact that no one's talking about when it comes to florida that is like super important they have a higher vaccination rate than illinois Ah, I did not know that. They have a higher vaccination. It's like 0.5%, but they have a higher vaccination rate than in Illinois. So like, yeah, some of it's tourism driven. In fact, probably a lot is. But the fact that they have that level of spread, the fact that the last two documented days in Illinois were over 3,000 cases a day should tell everybody 
how bad things are about to get. Like, what was the thing that people said about Prime Minister Modi over in India when the Delta variant was ravaging their country, right? They were saying how he wanted to reopen the country. Well, what, well look at what the Biden administration's doing. That's not that much different. So we're literally looking at a country that's like three times our size that got ravaged by the Delta variant. And we're like, yeah, that looks nice. Well, and, you know, and, you know, there's been reports uh, in Louisiana. This was in Louisiana that 6,000 children in Louisiana got have been tested positive for COVID-19. And that, you know, this is an increase of more than 3,000 cases in just four days. So I know, you know, now we're heading into another disaster situation where it's just like, Oh, we don't need a lockdown. We don't need a lockdown. We don't need to have any, I, you know, in terms of mask mandates. If the, you know, I hate to, you know, bring this up, but if this were Trump, Democrats would be losing their shit right now. But now that they're in control, it's oh no no, we have to power through this. We uh, that that's kind of also what remind me of was Pritzker saying we have to power through this. Yep, uh, April fifth yeah. goes to Champagne saying we are going to power through this with just vaccines. And then April 22nd, we so thoroughly clocked him that he changed his tune and said, you know what? Here's $80 million. Leave me alone. So, yeah, no, the, the, the situation that we're in is just totally absurd, totally predictable. And as Kenzo Shibata up in Chicago has also said, like he's he's in the Chicago Teachers Union. He is looking at this from like a, a socioeconomic perspective. He's like they are literally using us as sacrificial babysitters so that they can get more people out to work during a pandemic to bolster the economy, to die for the economy too. And so like, that's the reality of the situation. And also we are Champaign-Urbana. We are in a university town. Champaign-Urbana has a combined population of 120,000 on a good day. And that's with the university fully filled, right? So we are going from 70,000 to 120,000. We are nearly doubling the size of our population right as the Delta variant is striking. This is not going to go well. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just a really fucking fucked situation. Uh, you know how shit. many college students would get vaccinated for $100? All all of them. <laughs> yeah, like or, yeah. college students not a great situation obviously but like the stereotype is literally and it's for a bunch of messed up reasons that the stereotype exists but you get pizza at one of your meetings and suddenly a bunch of college students are at your meetings they will do whatever you need them to do for public health if you give them a hundred dollars so it's like that whole thing that biden said it's like if the immunity won't do it, I think the Illinois student government should pass something on it. And it just so happens we have enough connects to possibly make that happen. Yeah. Speaking of college students, they also, I believe, extended the federal thing on, you know, college loans or whatever until like the end of January. And we're like, oh, this is the last time we're going to do it. So don't. They're always very like, oh, don't expect any more help. OK, we're doing this one thing. Well, here's what that <laughs> yeah. proves, right? So what's the thing that people say about canceling student loans, that it would bolster the economy? What are we doing right now to help float the economy? It's almost like they're literally acknowledging the facts of the matter, but don't want to let go of the profits perpetually. Yeah. We have one more thing I wanted to kind of, kind of end on a sort of a fun note, um, but in terms of... Uh, yeah, uh, this whole COVID situation. I mean, it's really frustrating because because things were COVID numbers were going down, and and now we're looking at a situation where you know now with school coming back, possibly starting back up, and now if you're you know if you're a parent, what do you do? You know, do you want to? Because you know, kids below is it below the age of sixteen can't get the vaccine yet. Twelve. 12 can't get the vaccine yet so you know what do you do if you're a parent you know do you risk your your kid possibly getting coma do you risk your kid getting like in trouble like you know because if you don't take your kids to your school they can that can get them in trouble and cause a whole bunch of and see here's here's the thing it's like if parents were organized in a principled safe organization so that they wouldn't get abused by like manipulative Karens in the cohort and all that sort of stuff, like there would be options for them. Like I'm very certain that the folks working in fast food jobs right now, they're also parents with their kids about to go to school. So there's, there's a thing that we also have to acknowledge in that the folks that have the option to like make the choice that you're talking about, Ben, 
they're probably in a lot better situation than most. There are parents that are already working that uh, have been skimping on masks in their jobs because they're just exposed to so many people that it barely matters to them. And then they go home to their kids and they're just like, you know, what else can I do? That apathy is real. It's a traumatized, defeatist response due to a government that does not care about them. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just, you know, along with this whole eviction moratorium thing, which we're not really, we're not really solving, the, we're not solving the problem. We're just kind of like, oh, you know, just kicking the can down the road. And with this problem, it seems like, you know, we really should have known that, that this was coming, that this was going to be an, you know, an issue as people started opening up and, you know, things this past summer and now as COVID numbers are going up, uh, it's just a, yeah, complete fucked situation. So here's the scary thing. How many organizations are making concerted demands in a coalition framework for a vast number of officials, not necessarily geographies, but for a vast number of officials to step up and do what's needed? Uh, last I remember, a lot of the tenants' rights organizing that was happening at the start of the pandemic it more or less petered out because it wasn't a highly sustainable set of actions and it was a very desperate situation. So I'm not knocking them for it, but it's like, where are they? Why was it that we literally didn't have a lot of actions going on, build up or any sort of thing like that. And it was just Cori Bush sitting on the Capitol steps pretty much. Normally when activist organizations are gearing up, there's this whole communication rollout so that it's really obvious when they're doing something. There's a bunch of press releases that even if they don't get published, you know that they've sent them out because they'll also tweet it about it or whatever. I didn't see any of that in the lead up to the first eviction moratorium expiration. And the thing that I worry about is like a lot of these things come from organizers in large cities and you need a higher income in order to be able to live in those large cities. That doesn't mean that it's easier to live there at all because things like things are more expensive. But one of the things that sticks with me is I was talking to a large city organizer when we were still dealing with the utility shutoffs thing. And I was trying to tell them that people wouldn't be able to afford their utility bill. And the person just goes, it's only like 200 bucks. And I'm just looking at them like they're insane. And so where are these organizations getting ready for this? Is it literally just us? Is it like, because that's what it feels like. Is like all these different organizations that have existed for years, that have done a lot of different demands uh, building activities for years, that have won policy demands for years, after about a year into this pandemic, are relatively silent. And it's like, is that because they were dependent on funding that dried up? Is it because the chronic stress uh, broke an organization that was already teetering on the edge? Like, what is it? I don't know. But this is this is kind of a thing that has me really concerned is that, yeah, we're making mountains move when it comes to addressing utility shutoffs. That was meant to protect the flank of the renters protections during the pandemic they had it taken care of but now they don't so like what do we do mm-hmm. yeah, i feel yeah. that i feel that man like i just wanted to say like you know from my perspective and you know uh with the things i'm involved in and you know and all that this was a, a we we were in a eye of the storm type of moment a couple of months ago in which, you know, we were flirting with talking about things that were non-essential or didn't really mean anything like normality and all of that, as if this wasn't going to happen. And it's something I've been warning uh, our locals, our local elected officials about and been in their, their ear and in their inboxes and in their emails about and not even being overtly, you know, publicly stating these things, but constantly in their ear over, you know, the past few months and everything like, hey, this is coming. So, yeah, we got a we got a couple of months on the federal side, but like what matters for us is uh, protections on the state side. So we we need our state reps to move quickly. And like, there is no recourse for what happens if they don't. When the the public needs to be aware that here in Illinois, we don't have much time at all. And they need to move quickly. And if they don't, literal lives are on the line. Chaos in the streets that we already have 
bracketed, you know, ratcheted up like, you know, a couple more notches. The bow will break at some point or another. So we don't we don't need any more added contingent community violence as it is with, uh, you know, now officially without a police chief. And, you know, COVID rising, our one shelter has been closed for the last four months. It's finally reopening on the 16th. Thank God for that. I've applied to that thing like four times. They ain't even hit me back for an interview. So be it. If they fully staffed, they fully staffed. I'm cool with it. I will volunteer if I got time. And if you got time, you should too. We should never be in a situation where our one shelter that is, you know, for the most part is underserved folks anyway. But that, that one little, little uh, bit of help is what keeps folks off the street and potentially uh, out of jail or worse. And all of these things intersect. And these uh, lazy imperialists are playing a deadly game with folks and have been and it's all coming to a head. You know, and that's maybe the best segue oh. to Mal I've ever heard. Mark, would you like to tell us more? <laughs> now we're I'm there. pretty I'm pretty deep into this uh hi Alan. I don't know if I can really get into <laughs> ideology right now. Okay. <laughs> that's totally okay, Mark. Uh, well, we, we we could do it next time. I'm feel uh, bad. I'm not an ideology guy either. More of a Protect humanity, promote humanity type of dude. And honestly... Heal your uh, oppressors. Honestly, as far as ideology goes, most of it is meant to just tell people who not to trust and what to prioritize. So frankly, that is enough, in my opinion, in terms of like, later this month, we're going to have a hardcore ideologue uh, of the DSA come and tell us everything he believes that we should believe about the DSA. So do I think that we need to necessarily adopt that framework no i think that if we understand human rights takes priority over politicians comfort we're well on our way yep and that's why you my culture Solidarity. <laughs> by the way i officially you. became a dues paying member congratulations dsa so I'm, welcome i'm in the I'm, 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 you I'm know what them that my means paper. don't yeah, it i'm giving them my... initiation time <laughs> you know yes. there's, there's, there's something you gotta do ben oh is this gonna be like some kind of um, uh, it's yeah. time for you to get toxic dude you gotta get toxic <laughs> oh man oh i have yeah. to tell you this yeah. thing you gotta, that get, I saw. you gotta find the most toxic thing to do i'm a committee lead so now you know i, I have to be toxic all the time and just do toxic things so i'm just gonna be a one-man filibuster for no reason uh, all because i'm out of lace potato chips on on that note though there was this great quote that came from like the DSA delegates in Illinois that I had in a group chat where they were talking about like, what does it mean to be representative of the DSA because we were voting on a, a person. And I'm scrolling up through this chat to try and find it because it's just, it's so perfect. Okay, just give me about 10 more seconds of scrolling. And if not, I'll just paraphrase yeah. it. I'll play some game show music. <laughs> while, while I do. All right. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, the Jeopardy. The, yeah, Jeopardy. the Jeopardy team. Yeah. But really, RIP Trebek. You know, we. Yeah. They're gonna uh, send. Yeah. They're gonna send yeah, Ben a sorry. royalty Whoa. request for yeah. that five seconds. Damn it. Yes. Damn. Hold on. Um. What's it? Oh man. Oh. Oh. Screw okay. you, capitalism. Well, We're gonna find some bootlegs. Okay, here's the quote. Go ahead. Uh, So NPC stands for National Political Committee. So here's the quote. We need an NPC that truly reflects the membership. What are their positions on smoking weed and yelling online? And (laughs) the best part was, without missing a beat, the next person in the chat said, oh my God, I almost choked on my weed. (laughs) (laughs) That's so, tough. Yeah, yeah. To Eddie's question, Ben, what are you going to do to be toxic? <laughs> I, I better not say anything. Come to Decatur and cuss out Chuck Kuehl. Oh, yeah. Uh, when are we going to uh, bring a bunch of pinwheels to city council? That reminds me. That reminds me. That little bit of nugget of information that I found out earlier. And this is perfect. This is perfect. This is a great time to do this. Mark, are you receptive and listening so you're aware of me being the 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 campaign lead for the swift push here in 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 cu right right well you were you were here for that that last so what i found out is 
a community college there in Decatur has its own program coming from the, the state workforce equity initiative. Whenever you got time, we should definitely find out who, where, and how many folks is in there. Oh, for versus sure. The, uh, you know, disparity, you know, there, we, you know, bring some equity to those streets as well. Absolutely. And also inroads made in your community helps to make inroads in our community. Because we're telling folks to use the American Rescue Plan. Yep. Well, we already went over it, right? So, like, if we're able mm-hmm. to get that rolling indicator where, again, they're also experiencing the increasing gun violence that we're experiencing. And it's like even Elijah, I think, would be up for promoting uh, such a thing. So I think that there's quite a coalition to be made in Decatur about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's something everybody can get around. And it's something yeah. that's needed everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Do we have? I don't know how much time you guys have left. I, the only other thing I, I kind of wanted to talk about was the Andrew Cuomo whole scandal, which I mean, I, I wanted to end on a fun note. I mean, we kind of were, I guess. I mean, I, I don't mind doing a little bit more editing when I when I post production edit this or whatever. So there was released about Andrew Cuomo, the governor of the great state of New York, and I'm walking here, and how he has been. Well, he's all these allegations that were made against him that he's you know, you know of like inappropriate comments and i believe inappropriate touching and it was just but what he his state his press release or his statement that he released which was basically like oh i kiss everyone men like he actually a released thing like of him of him like kissing i think it was like bill clinton al gore like all these you know famous people he also like released showed like pictures or video of george bush hugging and uh former president barack obama hugging like hurricane victims i do it with everyone black and white young and old straight and lgbtq powerful people friends strangers people who i meet on the street it was pathetic yeah, it was absolutely just, I don't know how as a PR person or as a, how you could come look at that and be like, oh yeah, I think this will work. I think this will change people, get people to get on your side, Governor Cuomo. When you have a certain amount of power, no amount of legal advice will be listened to. And you're just going to go ahead and make the dumbest double down in history. For And this <laughs> is in the same state that Trump is in. Yeah, it was just... How crazy is it that the one person that Donald Trump outsmarted was Andrew Cuomo? (laughs) Now that's tough. (laughs) How do you mean outsmarted? I'm completely confused, but also it hit hit like a a really angry catharsis nerve at the same time, so I want to know more. To me, they're almost like they're the same person. Cuomo started to do like Trump's mannerisms and his cadences when he started giving those morning lectures or whatever they were. They obviously both don't understand personal boundaries with whoever's around. And like (laughs) it's got to burn Cuomo up because he was going to be the next, you know, Democratic shining light for that two weeks people cared about him. And Mm -hmm. Trump is basically getting away with everything. And remember, it was a big deal that New York was going to come after Donald Trump and be the one to lock him up. And now instead, New York might lock up Andrew Cuomo. Well, and here's <laughs> the thing is that I don't think they gave that up. So like the New York attorney general is going after both of them equally. Even that, though, has got to burn him up. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> a, uh, Trump should have a press conference and just dunk on him. I think he did. <laughs> Are you I serious? I have not been seeking out this information, but one of the things that I do on occasion just to see what is being promoted on YouTube is I'll just like go incognito to the YouTube page and then you see what everybody else is watching, like all the stuff that's promoted up to the main thing. And there was something about Trump holding a press conference about Cuomo. Well, he does have a Twitter account, so it's kind of hard. To... <laughs> his Twitter's gone now. I, I bet. Thank God. Oh, can you imagine his Twitter account right now? Can uh, you imagine me deleting uh, my Twitter right now? Because uh, that's what I'd be doing. Because I mean, I'm not dealing with that. <laughs> Didn't you think the whole lawyer presentation thing, too, at the conference uh, was kind of Trump-esque? Uh, I just kept waiting for him to for them to say it was a witch hunt. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that 
Like literally all they uh, had was there. So that whole thing, the, the stupid thing is if you're looking at it from a purely technical, not moral perspective, which is what the law system's supposed to be, they actually did a really good job at what they were trying to do, which wasn't to absolve him of guilt, by the way. Absolutely not. What they were trying to do was they were trying to nitpick and invalidate what they could that could later then be cited in the court of law where they will eventually find themselves. But they were doing this to signal to the attorney general that there is a limit to how many charges they'll be able to apply and the integrity of the investigation, which would also make it more complicated to prosecute. And so even though the vast majority of the testimonials are undisputed, the situation is such that they're able to say to, you know, a potential jury that some of the testimonials are in dispute or testimonials from this are in dispute. And those are factually accurate statements that they can use both to uh, muddy the waters and to reduce the severity of the charges with which one could reasonably apply with the expectation of getting a conviction or whatever the civil court version of conviction is. And so that's the really painful, not trauma literate at all legal system level casual observation that I have of what they were doing. It sucked to watch. And I made sure that when watching it, I was not making that my primary focus. Otherwise, I probably would have banged my head against the desk repeatedly. But Alan, were you eating pizza with a fork? Yes. <laughs> I would. So the moment that yes. Cuomo released the... Um, the press, uh, the video, the recorded video of him basically victim blaming for the entire time. I put out a tweet that I was driving to Little Caesars. I then t tweeted following up to that a picture outside of Little Caesars. Then I got a picture of me with a pizza box outside of Little Caesars. And then I go back home, I open it and I have like pizza with a fork at Little Caesars. And I've just been so livid at that. Such bullshit. Yes. For, and for those who don't know, uh, Alan... For the past, I don't know how forever. long months, <laughs> for yeah, wherever has been uh tweeting, you know, the hashtag fork you Cuomo f o r k, demanding that Andrew Cuomo resign since like I don't know what how long probably about six seven months, but okay, like so it, the anthology is there, like someone could find the first tweet, but like basically yeah. what I did was I made a point to have mostly New York style or New York style passing pizza and eating it with a fork specifically because of all people like Jon Stewart had a bit where he was making fun of Trump for eating pizza with a fork is that being like a cardinal sin against New York City residents and I'm just looking at it going look New York if you can't discipline somebody and you need to have it in the court of law then you deserve no respect I will eat your pizza with a fork I don't think he's a real New Yorker. I think he's a fraud, and I don't care if you do hear that, Gov. <laughs> Fork you, Cuomo. I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, since he might be up for impeachment, I might be adding a yeah. peach to that repertoire of just eating peaches with a fork yeah. for no other reason than to just add that to the roster. Mm. It'll be healthier anyway. This is breaking news. Governor Andrew Cuomo gave a press conference this afternoon in which he announced that he will be resigning. Well, <laughs> I think that's a kind of, I wanted to end at least on sort of a, kind of a funny note. And, you know, we get to kind of like last time we kind of made fun of New York, you know, state of New York. We do it out of, you know, we just kind of do it jokingly. We don't, if you're in New York, <laughs> don't take it personally. Hey, we don't no, do take it personally. Oh, if you're in or do New take York. Your government and your party yeah. is not holding somebody accountable outside of the legal system yeah. and instead is using the legal system to hold somebody accountable. You've got a problem, pal. And yeah. so, yeah, like the whole thing is meant to satirize the situation yeah. in a way that isn't like taking any sort of meaningful attention away from the situation but also as a way of just like acknowledging that it's still there without necessarily causing uh, more harm to any survivors involved and like giving them undue attention that they uh. don't want. And so, yeah, like that, that was kind of the whole thing. So absolutely take offense if you live in New York. Yeah. That is the point. But what? also it is tongue in cheek. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Take the uh, Cuomo's blatant corruption. And like what pissed me, like I talked about this in the first episode of Left of Dial when we were recapping both conventions, the Republican and Democratic, you know, having Cuomo, he gave one of the speeches and talks 
And I was just thinking, God, just, you know, fuck off. You cut Medicaid and like you caught, you caused so much, you made the situation in New York so much worse. And it's like having to hear you talk about how, you know, this is, you know, America, you know, we're strong, whatever, just whatever bullshit. And I'm just like, you fucking suck so much. New York, New Yorkers, I am pissed off for you, if anything. But, uh, I'm pissed uh, off at them for electing him. Yeah. And well, yeah, that too. It's one of us like, uh, why, why are you electing this asshole? Uh, yeah, anyway. I'll put it, I'll put it like this. New York is in the same boat with me as the, the state of Kentucky is. Y'all both on my shit list. Do you remove these folks? <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. You, you let Mitch McConnell sack of Mr. Potato Head looking ass just get back into there. Well, how? I don't know. Why? I don't know. But yeah, if you live in the state of Kentucky and you're listening, we beefing. If you voted for him, we beefing. Until y'all get him out of there, we beefing. If you didn't vote, we beefing. Same thing in New York. Full yeah. offense. <laughs> At me on social media or whatever. Catch me outside. All that. Getting well, actually, kill your kill your masters, man. Right yeah. You know, yeah. kill your masters. Yeah, rise up, get up, stand up. I don't know, I'm quoting Bob Marley. <laughs> I think that's kind of where I'm going to end it here on uh, this episode of Left of Dial. I don't know if anyone's got any final final statements. If you, uh, I'm going to post. Oh, I'll post. If you've been looking at the details, I've been posting. If you know, if you're a listener, information about. I'll, I'll post them. You know, if you, if you or someone you know is in need of assistance in terms of like rent, I think there are some programs available locally because, as we said, there the city. We don't know how long this moratorium is going to hold up. You know, if it could be declared unconstitutional. So there are some programs available. I mean, my heart goes out to anyone because, as Eddie and I have discussed before, it's like that's a long because I'll delve onto this much you know that's uh because that can cause just like a mm-hmm. it's a and you know this it can cause like just so many other problems in terms of being able because that's a that's a if you get evicted that's a black mark it's it's kind of like anything mm-hmm. you know like if you're in school when you yeah. get expelled or whatever it's like a black mark yeah. on your record yeah it's like a, a social felony or something yeah i got a thing but for housing yeah. If we yeah, go ahead, bolster the housing protections of some of the most vulnerable households out there, one of the biggest things that can be done in addition to pressuring the government to release the money that they have appropriated for helping people to avoid eviction is to get families who have not filed for the child tax credit to get the child tax credit. And so that's something that we've had on a back burner for a little while that we should probably make a higher priority is hold seminars to guide people through the ridiculous 21-page instructions that they have for non-tax filers who qualify to get the child tax credit. These are folks that are most likely behind on rent, that are most likely high-vulnerability households. They didn't earn enough to need to file taxes. That is all you need to know. And so that's definitely something that we need to do is, like... Find a venue where we can educate people on uh, the Urbana Library. I'm thinking the Champagne Library because they've got this outdoor seating area, but it just depends oh. on like how many computers we can bring, how many plugs we can get access to. We also had um, a student from YDSA biking around finding places that had Wi-Fi accessibility that they might be able to meet at. So it's like, why do you say will also be a good source of information for that? But yeah, like Urbana Free Library is pretty good for indoor masks. But I think what's going to be most comfortable for folks is to be outdoors safe to where folks who don't show up with masks but are people who need this child tax credit. Like, yeah, we could ask them to mask up, but they don't have to if they're outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Want to eliminate as many obstacles as possible. That's the point. So, yeah, I get that. So, yeah, yeah, that sounds good to me. Well, if I can make something, uh, I I like to party and 39 to beam up. (laughs) (laughs) Wise words words were never said. I think you had very similar uh, discourse at the Decatur debate, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's a good part, a uh, good place. And there, uh, you know, the struggle, the fight, the struggle goes on. And, you know, we're, 
you know, if, if I've learned anything this past year, it's just like, if anything is going to get through us, it's organize, mobile, you know, mobilize, you know, et cetera. Because that's what's going to hopefully get at least a lot of, hopefully a lot of people through this with, in terms of assistance. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and from, for assistance will be down below. I don't know, it, depending on where you live, you know, we, we're here in Illinois. If you or somebody you know, um, I, I'm sure there's, you know, some federal assistance programs available. I'll try to see what I can I can find in terms of that. But yeah, I'm sure it differs with each state. But yeah, I'll try to find what I can and post it below. And it's all public information. It is findable. So like, you know, Ben, if you need help finding, I'll help for sure. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Good. That right kind of ends it here with this episode of Left of Dial. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, B, Amy. I'm glad to kind of have this conversation because you know this is this is going to be an ongoing thing. I mean, honestly, let's just be real. It's probably going to go on. You know, this it's probably going to go on for you know next not in a year, next couple who knows how many years yeah. because you know millions of people yeah you know dealing struggling to you know pay off rent, pay, try to stay in their housing. This isn't going to you know go away anytime soon. Yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, so. It wouldn't be a leftist show without, well, it wouldn't be a Midwestern leftist show without a Midwestern goodbye to sign off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eddie and I <laughs> talked about this, right? We can't. That we're. It's like, yeah. are we? Are you? Are you going? Are you leaving? You just. You said. You said you were about to leave twenty minutes ago. It's like, oh, what? <laughs> what? I am. This is. This is what we do on mid, you know, in the Midwest. We. We're about to go. We're. We're telling everyone goodbye. We're saying, hey, I'm leaving. Do you have anything to say? <laughs> and then I say, "Hey, I'm leaving for the twentieth time." <laughs> right. But uh, it's like three hours late. Three uh, hours. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Goodbye. Farewell. Signing off. Goodbye. <laughs>